For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Another stressful week over and City are still in pole position in the Premier League, though not without a scare at Burnley. With 10 minutes to play at Turf Moor, was there a single supporter who would have admitted that they were actually enjoying the match? I know I wasn't, and I've got bitten fingernails to prove it. On this week's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be looking at how Pep Guardiola's side got over the line in that 1-0 win, about 29.51mm over the line. But a goal is a goal, and there isn't one of us who cares how it went in. With the FA Cup final on the horizon, the price of tickets is in the spotlight as well. With the top category hitting a huge £145, we're asking if it's possible to justify spending that much on a football match, and we'll hear from some fans who have decided enough is enough. Howard Hawkins talking mental strength, something that will no doubt be important as Leicester come to town on Monday night, and the Foxes are about as close to a bogey side as City have these days. I'm your host, David Mooney, and with me in the studio, I have two of City Twitter's absolute finest. The man behind the numbers at Stat City, Adam Carter. Hello. And we're in esteemed company with Stephen McInerney. How are you doing? Hey, all right. Not too bad, thanks. I, uh, first off, Adam, I need to address this because uh, your mates have been getting in touch with me all over Twitter. Um, so I, I've got to ask, what's your favourite stat? <laughs> I knew this was going to come up. Um, I, the one coming up is that when we play at Wembley in the FA Cup final, it'll be our 14th appearance excluding the Tottenham games. And that'll be we've appeared at the new stadium more times than the old stadium now. Oh, that's, so. good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, my my favorite. It's not really a stat, but my favorite kind of coincidence is that when City were relegated in uh, ninety seven, ninety eight, the two games that sent them down were QPR and Stoke. And then the markers of the, yeah. the Mansour era were QPR and Stoke and, wow. uh, for, oh, for the nice. two trophies. So it's, it's not really a stat, but it's a nice coincidence. <laughs> I like that, I thought, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're distracting from the from the main <laughs> point. Uh, the title race, Stephen, how are, you, how are your nerves holding up? I can't wait for the season to end. Honestly, <laughs> I am absolutely terrified. Uh, it's just been horrible, hasn't it? It's been, I think, mainly, and you probably guys noticed this as well, when you're so involved in social media as well, you feel like you, you feel it more. And it probably, yeah. I need to, I started de- deleting Twitter from my phone because it's the only way I can get through <laughs> my day because it, you get so consumed and it, you get too anxious about it all. But um, a lot of people have been saying it's probably more fun than than last year's, but they must be saying a masochist because this isn't more fun at all. It, it's horrible, but... It, it would just. I, I'm just dreading the idea of coming this far and it not, and it not, not paying happening. Off. Off. That's yeah. the thing that scares me. Like weirdly, the idea of not winning the league doesn't scare me as much as not winning it in this circumstance. If that makes sense. Like yeah. in terms of, it's the Liverpool thing. That, that's it's, spot on. I yeah. kind of resigned myself, and Liverpool were having a phenomenal season. So I thought, okay, you can't win it every yeah, year. Yeah. They are doing something exceptional, and it, we're just a little bit off the pace. We might fall short, and then to have come back round, exactly, yeah. conceded three goals in since the Newcastle defeat in the Premier League. To now, if we fall short at this point, uh, I'd. Give me winning it in March any day like last time. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, I mean, people always say that uh, that a tight title race like this is much better than... Let's, I, I remember feeling this horrid going into relegation seasons, thinking, I hope we stay up. It's no different. It is exactly the same. It's still as stressful, and I hate it. I can't I can't deal with it. It's Football's not fair. Football's very stressful, isn't it? Like, why, <laughs> honestly, do we do this ourselves? Um, I, who was it was saying recently? I saw someone like said that technically this isn't a good title race because both teams just keep winning and there's no twists and turns. But I kind of know what they mean, and I think that actually does make it a little bit more stressful because when teams keep winning and keep marching on, the fear of the mistake is bigger. Like, yeah. So you feel like it's going to count more. So it's it's so monotonous this title race in terms of there's no missteps that you feel like there's no chance to come back essentially if you do make a mistake and that makes it even more anxious it's horrible now Adam hand on heart I want you to tell me absolutely honestly now did you think that goal up Turf Moor was ever going to come it was after when we didn't get and thought it was going to come until we didn't get the penalty and then I thought it's not our day and then I'm hoping, well, Newcastle might do us a favour. And you start working the permutations out in your head before the game you're watching is actually finished. <laughs> That's how close it is now. And I was, I'd like to hope that we still we got this mentality of fighting to the end and it come in. But um, 
No, I think once the penalty shout had gone, which was a blatant penalty, I thought. Unbelievable, that wasn't it? Our, our days. We yeah. were battering at that point. We created a lot of chances. So I was semi-confident still. It hadn't got to the point where it was critical yet, I didn't think. But if it had been another 10 minutes later, I, I, yeah, I would have lost I, I chucked the towel in at Turf more after about half an hour. I thought, it's not <laughs> yeah, happening. It, it's just not, just it, not happening. it reminded me of the, old, of the old traffic game in terms of a slow start. And then 10 minutes before half-time, we started to turn the screw a little bit. And we came out pretty well as well. So mm. um, you've got to give it to the players, though. They're actually yeah. it's phenomenal, isn't it? it really well, is. I was going to say, the one thing you can say for this season is no matter the circumstances, they just seem to get the job done so in this last few batch of games probably from the crystal palace game has all been about game management now and as a fan you're on edge for the full 90 but if you look at since when we scored at burnley we stopped the tempo straight down raheem Sterling was intentionally walking around the pitch with the ball lending it to silver lending it to gundawan jesus Uh, did it a number of times and that's obviously the intention because the game management there now for that the nerves are steel to be able to do that because i'm desperate for them to go forward (laughs) and go for the jugular at one nil and there was periods where there was almost a walking pace and I think if a Liverpool fan who's not got that stress of us watching our team would think that Burnley simply weren't like meeting us in the in the match but they actually were yeah. it's just Pep's management and he's actually changed his style I think in over years gone by where he might have been a bit naive you can't call Pep naive but no I agree I know where you're coming from definitely and the, the game management now in these last few games has been absolutely nerves of steel like, like you say this City team is so far away from his Bayern and then his Barca team because they're so much more pragmatic when they need to be you would never see a Guardiola team bring on two centre-backs and you know go four centre-backs on the pitch at one point we had literally all of them there yeah. I love that because it's almost it's it's like he's absorbing what will make him stronger, you know, <laughs> like all the things that could harm him. He absorbs them and becomes stronger himself. Never as well. the fear that it might invite pressure, though. Yeah, it weirdly, it didn't, though, did it? Like, it, it, definitely the fear of that. But I guess they're also well versed in how we play. It's like I was expecting this late siege from Burnley, but it didn't really happen. You know, it didn't because we seem to manage it pretty well. And I guess hindsight's a beautiful thing because it could have happened, as, as you say. But I guess he got it right, and um, it's weird seeing him change. Uh, but I don't think he's changed the negative. I think he's just learning. And I think but tell, I mean, we mentioned Jesus as well. I mean, when he took it around the keeper and fired it in and, and oh. it was cleared off the line, again, you must be thinking, you know, just get that second goal, kill the game. Because Burnley, I mean, with at 1-0, there's still a chance, a deflection, a, you know, a, yeah. a freak, something, a, a funny bounce can go they against you. They had a free you. kick late on as well, which I thought this could be rep- a replication of the uh, Crystal Palace game. Yeah. And um, you know, when Ben Mee cleared that one off, I thought, well, there, could be, there was some... Uh, assumptions that Burnley because they were on the could have been on the beach because they were safe by that by kickoff because of the results the previous day yeah. they weren't going to try but they did really make a good show of it and make sure that we, they didn't go down without a fight so well it's all it's all fine margins isn't it because the goal people were calling it lucky we said just over twenty nine millimeters um, was it lucky a goal's a goal isn't it really so I'm going to clean my hat on that I think I mean we deserved the goal we earned it we we absolutely peppered them. Um, and I, I really like this technology. It's really useful, isn't it? <laughs> so like, I, I hated that tweet from City, the whole like tempting fate one yeah. about the Liverpool thing, and oh, nerves even just thinking about it. But I guess it wasn't lucky because it was a goal, you know. And he went in, and I can't really. I don't think correct decisions are ever lucky. Really, I, Adam, I, Adam described the moment between the way the, the shot going <laughs> yeah. over the line yeah. and the referee actually giving the goal. Well, I, I, I don't think I, it was in personally. Yeah, I was. I was convinced it was. So oh, okay. there we we've come from two sides. I, I thought it's got to be. Is he, um, the defender's standing foot was behind the line? I think to get his swing on it, I was quite confident, but. Um, 29.51 millimetres confident uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's weird how this season could hinge on two goal line technology decisions and how like that's how close the two teams are that that could be this decision that stops Jurgen Klopp becoming a centurion and oh, an invincible God. in the same season just by those two decisions it's crazy how it can come down to that I would always I'd always argue that that as, as much as as the the games between City and Liverpool have, have came down to that because of obviously the it, it, there was a missed penalty at Anfield so that I mean that swings it another way yeah. as well um, and then you, you look at, at some of the other games City they had an awful December they had that spell of three defeats in four games where that's just not normal that's not City yeah I mean I think it was it was when you, it's weird because if you average it out over the course of two seasons I mean those defeats in terms of numbers look quite normal but we'd become accustomed to this incredible unstoppable Guardiola machine is it 192 points now or something yeah, like that, yeah, available or something yeah. like that for this season that alone we've still obviously six more to play but yeah that that kind of spell um everything caught to us a little bit didn't it at the time and um it felt like the world was caving in and Maybe it was interesting to see where Liverpool would have been, you know, um, if we hadn't dropped those points, if they kept, you know, if they kept the tempo up as well or whatever. But 
Yeah, that was a. I think that's a spell a lot of us kind of predicted as well, really. Not like out and out predicted it, but we felt like we would have a bit of a kind of dodgy winter because it just looked a bit too much at the time. And well, as a, as a man who admittedly throws in the towel pretty much every <laughs> week, I, you know, I, I think it was uh, going into that Liverpool game. Just it was start of January, wasn't it? I was I was thinking if you know if they don't win this, yeah. then that's it. So that was the one, yeah, wasn't I it? Where it would have been ten points or something. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, yeah, it was ten points before we played Southampton away as well. Yeah, um, and then the turnaround since that. It's been phenomenal. You you know, this is our best start to a calendar year ever. Goals scored and goals conceded. We've only conceded six since the start of the, the turn of the year. Uh, we're usually averaging around 15 at this point. That's it's for a Pep Guardiola team to... Because we always... Well, I feel we've got this reputation of not being as solid at the back, especially yeah. under Pep. But it's actually been one of our saviours. This it's totally underappreciated, isn't it? Like we're unbelievably good defensively yeah. in terms. Of, I don't think we get the credit. No, we just it's because we defend as a unit, I guess. And like, there's individuals don't tend to stand out as much, and it's mm-hmm. as much about stopping the chances before they're um, before they're there, I guess. In terms yeah. of we snuff it out, it's, we're just hyper organised. Well, the Burnley the, the Burnley thing, game kind of puts that into into the picture. What was it? Was it no shots on target yeah. from Burnley? And no corners, and you know Burnley at they home. They play for that as well. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what they play for. And Pep knows that that's their uh, that's their it. talent, and he's, he's obviously nullified that. For that's his third game now, obviously at Turf Moor. Um, and they've always been quite tight. I think it was two one was a couple of years back. Yeah, nil, two, nil, two nil, one nil nil one nil. Uh, was it one all? Uh, one, uh, one all wasn't Daniel yeah, scored, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, but he's obviously um, he, he, he was going back to the whole idea that he learns as well and to. To limit Burnley like that, and the crowd, like, I wasn't at Turf Moor, but it looked like they were up for it, you know. And obviously, there was a decent, uh, there was definitely application from Burnley, but to limit them, um, people, yeah, as you said, they just don't give the credit that he deserves for that because that takes some doing. It really does. It was uh, goal number twenty for the season for uh, for Sergio Aguero, only the second player to have done that in uh, in six seasons. Adam, you can't. It seems daft to think about when we were talking in Pep's first season that, that he might not be a Pep Guardiola-style striker when you look at it now, doesn't it? It's just a phenomenal record. that um, You just know he's Mr. Big Game Player. Um, and Little Game Player and Every yeah, Game well, Player. He does, you it, get, does you get, it all the time. You get the stat pad uh, Twitter brigade who, when I throw a stat out, it says, yeah, but how many against the lesser teams? But if you just take his record against the top six, it's ridiculous. He turns up every game. The, eight goals this season against the big six. Yeah, like and there was a bit where in the last few moments of the, of the derby, he, ch- he chased Ashley Young down in the corner flag. Oh yeah, the... and the passion. He's this last. He's almost took on this ta- this um, ch- title surge or uh, title running. To heart, he's, he's so fired up. And it's not just his goal. It, to him. There's seniority to his way of playing. He was made captain uh, for one of the games. He just leads by example. He's just was I'm bigoted when he goes. For me, he yeah, he's the one that I think is honestly irreplaceable. Because how do you well, how do you replace your your highest ever scorer and the guy who's essentially a part of your identity these days? He's more than anyone. Well, he's had the defining moment of this kind of era, I guess. Um, and it, it's it's not the goals he brings. It's there's so much more than that. As you're saying, it's like it's the big moments, like that. To, the goal against Liverpool, for example, on the third of January, that that left-footed rocket of a shot. No one else in world football scores that kind of goal. But no it's, one. It's, it's not just that. It's it's the variety in the yeah. goals. Like he's for someone his size, he's quite good in the air. He can, you know, he can. He, be the fox in the box and, and poach a goal when you need him to. He can run with the ball from the halfway line, beat a few players and slide it in. He can smash one in from 35 yards. He can you know, can bend it round defenders, left foot, right foot. Bounce he's off got four people everything. Tonight, yeah. yeah, he's got absolutely everything. Which one to get? How do you replace him? And it's what he brings in terms of his status. It's the whole cliche as well about people genuinely fear a name on the team sheet. And Aguero is, falls into that category. He's one of the biggest legends to ever play the game over in this country now. He's gone to that point. Uh, I think some of, some of the press may be begrudgingly give him that title because it's just not as popular conspiracy theory stuff because he's in some <laughs> shirts. But, but I think, okay, people weirdly, I still think he's underappreciated by the, the wider community. People are willing to just put him down to be a stat pad or whatever. But when you look at his moments in big games, and it's, oh, I'm, I, I just don't know, how, honestly, not how we'll replace him. I think we won't. I think we'll have to adapt something else. Like we see Bernardo coming through, and he looks obviously the heir apparent to, to David Silva. Yeah, yeah, and then, like, obviously. Our centre backs have gone a slightly different way, which is kind of fine for like the way we play. So we don't need a company really, even though we're still obviously seeing his importance in the title race. I think we can be, we can be a different way as we've seen with Stones and the Port at their best together. But Vaguero, like he is literally the perfect little striker. Like, I honestly don't know if there's anyone else around the world like him. I'm not saying he's the best forward in the world, but for the way we play and what he brings, what he brings to the fans and his general demeanour, it's just 
yeah, it, it's a £250 million task. Well, uh, pop quiz. I'm going to throw this one to you, Adam, because I know you know your numbers. Um, <laughs> Sergio Aguero, the only team that he's not scored against in the Premier League that he has played against. Who is it? Bolton. Bolton Wanderers. There we go. He's scored, against, scored against every other Premier League side that he's played. How did you do that so quickly? I'm gutted that he put me on the spot there. I usually like a bit of warning, but yeah. I think I nicked it off his Twitter a few days ago. <laughs> so I, that might be why, uh, why, why I knew the answer. Um, just on the, I mean, on the other striking front, uh, Gabriel Jesus, a few have, have tweeted us about this. Um, he did very well after coming on at, at Burnley. He's not had many opportunities in the last few weeks. He has, has been injured this season as well. Um, do you see him kind of, how do you see him being in this running? Because he's, he's very much definitely the second striker to Aguero. But that doesn't mean he won't have his uses. It's all correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he's only made a couple of starts in the past few months, like in, you know, in the league and stuff like that. So he's, I'm not saying it's like a, a, a worry because the likes of Stones and Sane have struggled to get games as well, and these are two very senior players. But I think, I think in general, going back to the Aguero thing for a second, I think there's a bit of a second man syndrome behind Aguero because pretty much all these, they've had loads of great strikers at all. We really have had very good strikers who have not anywhere, hit the heights anywhere near what they're capable of because Aguero's there. And I think Aguero smothers the likes of, um, he smothers Jekko for one, you know, and not in a bad way, just because he was just so good. And I think Gabriel Jesus, um, when he started to get one, one of the games at the start of this year, he started to score plenty of goals, as we all know. Um, and I think he's very much... Uh, a confidence player in terms of he does need you know like 10 games to get going and get that confidence in front of goal and I think his overall game struggles from just literally being the rotation striker whether he's good enough to take over the Aguero mantle I honestly don't know I, I think he's potentially brilliant like um, I really think he is potentially brilliant like that bit of skill against Burnley yeah. uh, some of the goals he scored like the composure the last minute last season you know to, the composure to do that mm. uh, in such a big moment Crystal to, Palace this season yeah exactly composure. yeah yeah he, he had a very mature head on his shoulders against Burnley I thought down that left yeah, side yeah, yeah. as well it was weird to see him on the left side but he did a, um, put in a mature performance in there I'd love to see him get 20 games in, in good circumstances not feel great being injured I'd love to see him be able to play 15 to 20 games you know and get a run because he's so young still uh, he obviously has everything as well in terms of he looked as well in January he was dribbling a little bit more as well he, he was taking people on which is what we saw when he came over as this wonder kid um, from Brazil and I, I would love to see that game a little bit more but I think he's very his performance is very stuttery um, Adam uh, you, you mentioned him on the left mm. does he pose a threat to Sane in the final two games I think based on Sane's performance against Burnley we were all <laughs> crying out for him to be recalled he got his starting line at recall and he was nowhere near as efficient as he is coming from the bench and I'll probably get slaughtered for that <laughs> oh trust um, me I've been slaughtered as well yeah. that, but it's fair it's true though um, he, he did a good uh, he did a good game there I, I thought he looked accomplished there he was what we needed in the game at that point and like I said uh, Sane was ineffective with uh, Zinchenko down the left side and um, I just can't the Sane uh, the Sane situation is just completely was it do you reckon it was because of the of, of the way Burnley played though because there wasn't a lot of space for Sane to work in um, in general uh, yeah it, it, the surface was pretty poor I think there was a lack of cohesion down the left hand side with Laporte feeding Zinchenko and Zinchenko feeding Sane you could tell those players hadn't played together quite a lot um, and there was a, a lot of hesitancy and there was that kind of thing where a player plays a pass and neither of the people pick it up and it was going between the players quite a bit with Zinchenko and Sane kind of both looking at each other and say well that was your ball yeah, there was a, a lot tiff, of that yeah we? there was a few of that but um He's in, uh, fresh. He should be fresh. He hasn't been playing anywhere near as much as the likes of you know Sterling or Bernardo. And um, even if there was like essentially, no one minds if there's no space for him to run into. But there was definitely moments where you think, come on, there is a bit. At least show a little bit of drive and energy. I'm not saying he has a bad attitude or anything like that. I'm not going to be as definitive as that. But he definitely, I think he's a little bit. And obviously, arrogance is a good thing sometimes. I think he's a little bit entitled, you know, a, a, a tiny bit. But he can be healthy, as we know. Like, probably the second greatest player in the world is the most entitled man in the world, you know, in, in terms of Ronaldo. But I think sometimes, I wish we'd seen a little bit more... Um, it's such an easy word to say, but, you know, hunger. And, like, a, a little bit... Uh, I was going to suggest the word oomph. Oomph, that's mm. the word, yeah. Like, uh, like just, like... Get, I feel like Sane is very best still in terms of that wasn't Sane at his best even though there was no service it just wasn't Sane at his best runs at someone he he jinks past someone he does it he tries that even he's do, he's done it in games much harder than Burnley before and people are entitled definitely to um 
uh, have you know down games and whatever. But you just you just you just hoped, given the kind of pleas for him to start and how much he's not played, to see a little bit more. Now the circumstances are obviously difficult because match fitness and playing. Well, in, I was. In... I mean, I was going to say on the on the flip side, Adam, you talked about Crystal Palace before. He was. I thought he was pretty good at Crystal Palace, and that was one of his only starts in in the the recent run as well. It's like it can't be easy to just be thrown straight back yeah, into the fair. squad. Yeah, I, I just can't put my finger on what I thought this was going to be Sane's year after the last few seasons I thought he we we could have a potential Ronaldo we're talking about Ronaldo like we're talking he's got the credential to probably go on and, and achieve that but it's just not clicking for him he, he played well against Palace um he saved us twice in the Champions League uh, Hoffenheim and Schalke um and I just you know he's got those match winning performances in him Tottenham a few years ago um and I just think I can't put my finger on why it's not happening and what because you think right he's, he's earned his way back in from the subs bench he's starting now this is going to be his run he's going to drag us over the finish line and it's kind of stuttered already before happens, it started yeah. Yeah. I guess there is the off field stuff I mean he, he's become a father hasn't he for the first time mm-hmm. this season and so on and I think there was a little bit of heartbreak post the World Cup kind of snub and so on and I think he also met once again, it's a wild guess, but I guess it must be difficult being the golden boy and all of a sudden like Sterling and Bernardo but be fantastic. Like he's not in the team because he's he's not not in the team because he's not played well. He's it's because the other two have just been sensational. So like it, it it probably is a little bit hard for him at times to take. And I can imagine the kind of person he is is an element of like I want to be in that team. And yeah. I just he's quite young and he's a new dad and you know so there is a lot of factors that maybe come into it. Yeah. Uh, final word on the uh, on the Burnley game. Carl um, Walker has, uh, has answered his critics. Oh, he's good, isn't he, at the moment? Yeah, I thought when he made that mistake against Palace to concede the penalty and Pep kind of made an example of him yeah. around that time, I thought, oh, he's lost his way. Uh, but he's actually, on Monday, if he plays, it'll be his 50th game this season. He's the most capped outfield player after obviously Edison that's why we brought you in to, to just know these numbers <laughs> off the top of your head um, and I really thought the writing could be on the wall I know it sounds extreme because he only had a couple of bad games around that December time and Danilo came in and then I think did Danilo get injured and that was Kyle Walker's way back in again yeah. and he's been great since then I think he's um was mainly a victim of his own eagerness to be honest um I, I'm not going to try and get in trouble but I know someone quite close to Kyle Walker uh, and he he did the whole thing where this season after the World Cup and bear in mind, obviously, he played pretty much every game last season as well. He played an exceptional amount of games, and he's the kind of person who does extra running because he's just got so much energy and so on. But he obviously came back from the World Cup like after like five days, which was just silly, you know. He didn't genuinely, take his holiday, did no, he? he didn't. Which is looking in hindsight, when you play something like 110 games or something like that inside 18 months, well, I don't know, it'd be something like that. That's just a guess. So that, I'll leave that to Adam. <laughs> but uh, but in general, yeah, you're gonna have a, a down patch, and he he definitely wasn't at his best, was he, for a good couple of months, and his energy like. He didn't have that same turn of pace as well, actually. I remember thinking people were beating him. But it's almost like the Spurs game, this Spurs kind of triple header, which was... I don't want to see Spurs ever again. But like, <laughs> this, this triple header of Spurs has kind of rejuvenated him. Obviously, he was really up for it for the first game. And I thought he was one of the only ones that came out with a bit of credit of that 1-0 game. I thought he was really up for it. And then he's it's, it's just got him back into form, hasn't he? I think he's been fantastic. So much energy, so much drive. And he's running past people again, which is something he stopped doing. It's nice to see. Yeah, yeah. he's just using really his pace nice to drive to past people. And even though he's not the best cross, I think that's probably fair. It's just his sheer presence and the fact that he takes up so much space with his pace is causing and trouble. And there was a couple of clearances at the end of the Old Trafford derby that I just yeah, thought, yeah. that's accomplished that. He's, he didn't panic, he, he got he rid of it. on the ball Yeah, well, composed, yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Right, well, if all goes to plan, there is the potential for City to crown off a domestic treble at Wembley later this month, but not everyone is going to be there to see it. We've been speaking to some fans who are far from happy with how much the FA Cup final is costing. I've been taking a look at the ticket prices and what it means for supporters. Last month, there was a focus on how many Manchester City fans chose not to buy tickets to their side's FA Cup semi-final with Brighton. Roll forward just a few weeks and City are fortunate to have another trip to Wembley for the final. My name's Anne-Marie and I've been a City fan for a very, very long time. My brother first took me to the Kipax in the early 90s and we've been going ever since. Anne-Marie is just one of several City fans who got in touch with the Blue Moon podcast to say they weren't making the trip south for the match with Watford. When I got to look at buying my tickets for the FA Cup final, I was absolutely gutted to see that all the tickets available were 115 quid, regardless of where you sat. There is no way I can justify spending that amount of money on 
a football match. The £115 tickets are the second most expensive available with the £45 and £70 options already sold out. For the top-end tickets, fans are looking at a whopping £145 per person. That's about £1.62 per minute of football. Then there's travel. A 5pm kickoff meant getting home could have been difficult had the train operator not put on two extra services. Even then, return rail fare will set you back around £90 for the day, or you could fork out an extra £100 for a hotel room. Being a City fan's already a very, very expensive business. I've got a season ticket, I share a season ticket with my son. We've been to all the League Cup games, we've been to all the FA Cup games, we've been to Champions League games. And just because we follow a rich, successful club does not make us rich, successful fans. With City going all the way in the League Cup, making it to the Champions League quarter-finals and reaching the FA Cup final, it makes 60 matches that the team will play this season. Is it any wonder that fans are feeling the pinch? It's a far cry from when Anne-Marie was watching City against Stockport and Macclesfield. In those days, going to Wembley in a cup final was just a dream. So actually getting to the semi-final against Man U in 2011 was one of my standout matches. This season I took my little boy to the League Cup final. We all sat up in the gods with our 40 quid tickets and had an absolutely lovely day out. Each of the tickets for that final, which City won on penalties against Chelsea, was £75 cheaper for Anne-Marie than the best option available to her for the FA Cup. And she's not alone in choosing to miss out on this latest Wembley trip. I'm Lewis, I record the City Eye podcast along with my mate Jordan. I've been a City fan all my life, 24 years old. Uh, Dad was a big blue. That's how I, I become a City fan. Lewis is another who isn't going to this year's Cup final purely because of the cost of the tickets. I've chosen not to go to the FA Cup final. I can afford it. Um, I can get down there, not a problem, but I just think, you know, at some point people have to make a decision as to whether or not they want to spend the money. Um, and I've decided that, you know, enough's enough. The narrative that good fans will do whatever they can to follow their team only puts the power into the hands of the decision-makers at the top of the game. Lewis believes that the only way to get fairer prices for supporters is to simply refuse to buy tickets. I don't think them ticket prices are fair at all, so I've decided, you know what, this ain't for me, I'll just, I'll just sit at home or I'll go to a pub or something and watch it there. I think people need to make a stand and uh, I'm making that now and I, I won't be going, I'll be watching on the telly. What might add insult to injury is that the available prize money for the FA Cup this season has been doubled. It's left Anne-Marie asking why tickets are still at their highest ever level. It really baffles me that if there is money being generated that absolutely none of it is being shared with the people at the grassroots which is us. 115 quid to go and see an FA Cup final is beyond me and unfortunately it means I'm not going to get to go which I'm very, very cross about and very upset about. There are no doubt many more City fans with similar stories to Anne-Marie and Lewis. Fans are not made of money and just because a team is successful doesn't mean that supporters are more able to pay ridiculous prices. As things stand, football is a luxury more and more of us just can't afford. Hi, this is Paul Lake, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. A look there at the ticket prices for the FA Cup final. Now, we have spoken to the FA, and they uh, they have sent us a statement on our criticisms of the ticket prices. They say there have been no increases to ticket prices for this year's Emirates FA Cup semi-finals or final. We raised the prices last year for the first time in a number of years, but these have now been frozen for the next two seasons. Seasons. The Emirates FA Cup final is one of the most prestigious events in the sporting calendar and the prices are in line with many of these events. It is also important to remember that the FA is a not-for-profit organisation where every pound and penny of profit is reinvested back into entry-level football in England. So first off, uh, guys, well, knowing the ticket prices for this game and, and knowing what the criticisms are, what do you make of what the FA has got to say? Uh, so I used to work for a charity and when the customers would complain about our prices, we had a standard text that said we're a non-for-profit organisation and any money goes back in. Now, last time I checked, they weren't a charity as such. Um, can the sponsorship that they get not subsidise go towards the cost of the tickets? Well, the, like we said in the piece, the prize money for this season's FA Cup has been doubled. That's not the final prize money. That's the prize money for every single round. That's that's a lot. Well, guess where that's come out of? <laughs> Maybe our pockets, I guess, isn't it? Is it? They're obviously getting the money from the, some, somewhere. And it, to me... I mean that's um, 
once again, this whole, I know it's a cliche, but literally that FA Cup final would be nothing without the fans and so on. And um, the sponsorship you get from it all and all that kind of stuff, is it, it just kind of shows this they're taking it's, it's that's a very easy answer from them to be honest this whole like it's a oh don't no we do all this we all know they make plenty of money of course they do otherwise it, it wouldn't be one of the most prestigious things in the world because it, it is it i am kind of sick of it all i am genuinely sick of it all because um it's got to the point now where oh we didn't increase it is a good thing and but look, that, that was not the issue in the first place not being increased is not the issue it's like it's where it is at this moment it's, it's almost a little bit patronizing to kind of uh, bring that out. I always feel like they're looking across the, you know, across the the ocean and looking at the prices in America and all that kind of stuff. And because I'm not sure if you guys have seen it as well, but when you tweet about ticket prices, you get a lot of um, Americans, you know, fans, yeah, American Americans fans. talk about. Well, that's well, what it's like in this country. And, yeah, but and I don't disagree with that. I think they're too high as well. Though. Yeah, that's the thing is I feel like um, the cultural norms are so different. Um, yeah, we all feel so connected because of the internet and so on. But essentially, we're all in such different circumstances and what we expect from a game, what they do, like. I know it's a prestigious cup final, but I feel ripped off when I pay fifty pounds for a ticket at the Etihad. Um, I can't justify some of these prices at the FA Cup final personally. Um, I'm only at the point where I'm saving for personally. I'm saving money for like a mortgage and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, I don't want to spend two hundred pounds on a trip to London because it's it's just a lot of money. And I'll probably end up doing it. I'll probably I'm not personally out of principle. I've not got a ticket yet. Um, well, I probably let's... will end up caving in and getting one, but. Well, let's throw it's some just... numbers at you because um, you mentioned the ex- the expense of the ticket prices. The first time FA Cup tickets went over £100, they were £115. That was for City's last FA Cup win. So that was 2011 where, where City were the first team to, to have fans that paid over £100 for a ticket. Um, this season's prices uh, for 2019 are £45, £70. They've sold out. £115 and £145. Uh, compare that to the FA Cup semi-final which were 30, 45, 65, and 80. So like the, the, the top-end tickets there have gone up £65. That's 81% increase. It's just to pay the cost of Wembley back, isn't it? It's ridiculous. And I'm scared of missing out by not going to the game, so I will be going. I've got a £70 category ticket. Um, the only way it's going to stop is if we vote with our feet, but I don't think everyone's going to do it at the same time, and there's always going to be someone ready to step in and take that yeah. ticket, a day-tripper or so. It feels um, a bit futile, doesn't it? Sadly, it feels like regardless, it feels like it's just not going to change. And um, I guess it's because there are so many people, and it's such a global game that there are always people willing to step in. Uh, it does feel scandalous. I mean, honestly, um, like in in the in the Vox Pops, there, I, I personally can probably afford it. I probably could afford to get down there. Um, I'm not sure anyone I who would usually go with can afford it, and I know my dad's a bit skinned. Uh, well, I, I mean, like things like that. But the point that I that I think it's crucial to make at this stage is no matter what other people tell you, if you decide that you're not going to this game because you can afford it, but you think the ticket prices are too high. I've got the ultimate respect for you. I don't. I, you are not a bad fan not at all. It's just I, I remember. It's weird when you think about it because I, um, I remember a few years back one of my favorite bands, Radiohead, like they played the MN Arena, and I remember getting this was probably about five years ago and bulking at the price of like sixty five pounds, and then with ten pounds adding fees, seventy five quid, and this was a band I would probably see once, you know, in a lifetime, and I remember thinking that was too much, and like, and all of a sudden you think, wait, that. How can I be willing to pay forty pounds more for the FA Cup final for a team that I watch pretty much every week? You know, like it just seems like it, there's a bit of a kind of um, a and when it's on free to air telly as well. Yeah, it's like I understand what anyone would go. I understand the fear of missing out because I've got it. And I said before, I'll probably cave in. I probably will do. I've not so far yet, but it just feels like um, because people were willing to pay it, they'll charge it. And I guess it's the whole kind of well, capitalism in a nutshell, really, isn't it? Like if it's if people will pay it, I guess technically it's worth it. But well, I don't that- know. It's just normalizing a very negative thing the last time City were in the FA Cup final 2013 for that uh, that loss to Wigan um, the top end prices then were £115 so they've gone up 30 quid the, the top end tickets since then the lowest end were, were £45 which are the same as this time um, and then the mid range was 65 85 so they, they've gone up slightly Um We've we, obviously we we always ask for questions for Ask the Panel. Uh, we're going to bring one forward uh, from Ask the Panel now from uh, from Gaz Warrington. He's tweeted us to say sixty pound to take my lad to the League Cup final. It was two hundred and five pound for the FA Cup. How can anyone justify that for ninety minutes of football in the same stadium? Do you think a stay away protest would work, or would it be laughed at for empty seats from the media who get freebies? So that's the flip side of this: yeah. is the empty seat brigade, the seat counters. Um, where fans should be uniting and joining together to combat this, because it's not just us that gets to the finals, or there's obviously second, there's another team in the final. 
Um, I know a few seasons back, Liverpool and City had that banner that they held across the away end and the home end. Um, and rather than laughing at fans for having an empty uh, stadium, we need to. It kind of means needs to be all of us or none of us in kind. Of, and I'm of. I'd have to everyone get on board before I'd be leaving my it's, seat and voting with my feet. It's become so toxic, hasn't it? The social media side of it all, because essentially it got to the point where. Um, people are splitting hairs and over the finest of margins in terms of anything they can get one upsmanship over in terms of empty seats or I've seen someone tweeting today about oh that they only got six retweets in twenty minutes or something like that about football teams. <laughs> it's got that petty to the point where if people need to get together and only a certain bunch of fans and maybe it's probably telling that it's the away fans who obviously take things a little bit more seriously. But when when it when it comes to getting together, we're pretty bad at it. Weirdly, given the fact that once again we're all more connected than we ever should be, but we're very bad at it, and I don't think it'll sadly change because I think the, the problem is, and we noticed this a few years ago. I, 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 when I wrote for the website Typical City, we tried to to get a bit of, of momentum behind the idea of, of standing up and walking out of the game when the the PSG ticket prices were announced for for City in the Champions League, and the, the overwhelming response from City fans tended to be, "The team need our support," and. I get the FA Cup final. It's that the prices are not set by City, so the kind of like the hands are tied on this instance. But there are times when sometimes you just have to go. You know what? I am prepared to give up the thing that I love in order to change this, and that's I think that's what it needs fans to do. It, the problem is at this stage, like 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 Gaz says, if you, if there is a stay away protest, will the fans not just? snap up those tickets and go instead and we'll get the brunt of it anyway as well like so the basic yeah they will you, you're right in terms of someone else will step in there did you see that thing in um over in Sw- uh, switzerland recently the basel, was it basel, basel fans yeah essentially they felt 30 quid or something like that was too much for tickets so they essentially offered to pay i'm just making the numbers of it. it was something like very low like 15 pounds and they essentially made their own tickets and collected all the money in the pot and took it to the stadium and i'm not sure if it's happened or they're about to do it but they're essentially saying you'll take this money and let us in or you'll take nothing and that i mean i just cannot can you imagine imagine that happening over in England in terms of with the tribalism and the, and the, the general kind of toxic air around fans but something like that something really dramatic uh, needs to happen um we I mean we can do it we can get together as a fan base remember the Ericsson thing you know the uh that petition which I started by the way <laughs> which is weird <laughs> which is a small claim of faith a long time ago but um it can be done it's just I just can't see it changing. I think we've gone too far down one path and I think there's too much interest in the game that people will be willing to step in some way or another. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's nice. People want to go and people can afford it. Some, But I feel like it'd just be nicer if, if everyone felt more included. I think the players the have put 26 coaches on for the final. That's a nice... I think they realise that just because they're successful... It doesn't mean the the fans are rich and successful and can afford each final. So I think that deserves some plaud. It's the fact that the the club are trying to do something. My supporters club have put the, have put the free coach on as well. So we are rallying around as a community and as a football base. But it needs to be everyone and it needs to be far away from ridicule as it can be, because that's that'd be my fear that as soon as I get out of my seat, there's a screenshot on Twitter uh, that we've got those empty seats. Yeah. One one other one of the criticism that we've got. Um, how I mean. It was announced after the forty-five and seventy-five and seventy-pound prices had sold out. That was that was the earliest I could buy tickets. So the the cheapest I could get them was one hundred and fifteen. Uh, a couple of days later, it was announced that extra tickets were available at those prices, and that's, that's shocking. That, I isn't mean, it? genuinely shocking. When that. people have already paid over the odds to then release the lower prices again, but people know that's they know that's going to happen. They know that there's no way that's like a, a surprise to them. Like, oh, so we got thousands of more tickets. That genuinely is like. Um, it's the whole like supply and demand thing. They know they'll shift more because it's about to run out, and then they'll release some more if we get to there. But I think that is genuinely scandalous. It's, there should be some kind of like trading standards and stuff like that. Like you can't uh, put a limit amount of certain price tickets, make people pay higher, then just release them lower again. It feels just because they'll know what what they'll do is they'll put a certain amount, knowing that that bunch will sell out. Because uh, they'll shift the higher price ones then, because essentially they'll know that people will be scared of missing out and so on. And then, like they're the hardest ones to shift, obviously the higher price ones. And then the cheaper ones, obviously, easier to shift again. It just feels so manipulated. Like in general, like, they're doing it on purpose. Uh, I just I'm surprised that that's allowed, really. But you know, I'm not surprised at all. I guess at the same time, it is what it is, isn't it? How many tickets are left? At the time of recording, yeah. I don't actually know. I think it's. I think they've gone to general sale, but it's. Uh, yeah. Uh, that that was... 
but then there's that many left. It's um, it's it's when you see that uh, that concessions of uh, of uh, children three and, and and above are still two hundred and odd quid for, for the, the hospitality. I think Game's it is in the, in the second tier. Uh, anyway, now it's not just the FA Cup final tickets and scheduling that has upset some fans. We've had an email from Barry Tiernan who says I wanted to give my view being an Irish fan and travelling over the last few seasons. I've visited less and less due to increased ticket prices and airline fares. Games changing days means I've lost out on a lot of money as well. For example, I had only booked two weeks ago Leicester at home and then it got moved to the Monday. The flight was €120. I hate to reminisce about days gone by, but I used to get over 11 or 12 times a year, book flights early for a day trip for £30 with no chance of it being moved. That was only 10 years ago. Now it cost me at least twice that for a day trip. Now Barry's not alone. How annoying is it that the the Leicester game was was moved to the Monday night at at the drop of a hat? I mean, no notice whatsoever. It doesn't affect me, so I'm lucky because I I can literally walk to the game, but for some people, I, I tweeted about it as well. I remember some guys saying he he booked flights from New Zealand, you know, and it, it messed him up entirely. Like, once again, there has to be some regulations for these things. It just doesn't seem fair, does it, that people... And it's such a global game as well, and that's what, obviously, the FA push. They want it to be a global game. So you, there's going to be consequences when you just move games around at such short notice. And uh, it's, once again, it's something that I feel like we should all get behind as a fan base because a lot of people, it won't affect, and I think we're all relatively local, so it yep. will be okay. And But even then, any of us could have work and so on. Uh, but we wouldn't have to book flights and accommodation, all that kind of stuff. We'll just have to watch it on telly, you know, if we can't go for whatever reason. But it's something that I feel like in general, I wish people got behind more and fans of other teams because it's not just us affected. I'm sure it affects some Leicester fans as well. Uh, I feel I wish it was something that as a bunch of supporters up and down the country and, and I'm sure it probably even happens at championship level as well. You know, I, I wish we got together and made a point about this because... That's where you feel like uh, something that's very, it's more winnable in terms of we all got together and made a point about moving games at short notice because it affects travelling fans, away fans and so on. Uh, Even if it doesn't affect me personally, I would be willing to help support anyone it does affect, you know, because it's just awful. People have so much money. But Adam, if you want the TV money, you have to to eat the cake, don't you? Well, if you want the TV money, it's the match-going fan that suffers. Um, You think of the VAR experience. Again, it's the match-going fan that doesn't, we can't see what's going on. Uh, the the changing kickoff time. It's the match going fan that suffers. If you're watching it on telly, you'll watch it on telly in your armchair at uh, four o'clock on a Sunday or uh, eight o'clock on a Monday night. It doesn't matter to you. So the the brunt of it all is it's the match going fan, and we're just there to be the audience for their TV spectacle. It's it feels tiring, like isn't now. it? It's really <laughs> tiring at times. Well, all of that aside. Let's get actually to the football. Um, <laughs> how how do you see this weekend going? Uh, Liverpool go to Newcastle. Uh, City host Leicester. Tricky one. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping there's some uh, new camp hangover for Liverpool. Obviously, they've yeah. got another tough trip away to Newcastle. I think they'll put on a show. City uh, lost there. Exactly. It's a tough place to go. And hopefully, that I always compare our results to Liverpool's results. And obviously, they've got to go to St. James's. We lost 2-1. Um, hopefully, Newcastle can do us a favour. And then we... I've just got this fear of if Newcastle do us a favour, we'll take our foot off the gas. <laughs> there was, yeah, I was talking about the game management. Maybe that hopefully that will that nerves of steel will see us through because I've always got this thing: if the other teams do us a favour, we'll just do them a favour equally back and be back square. Wasn't one. it? I think I'm. Wasn't it after Newcastle when we lost at the Liverpool drop points as well? Yeah. And I think I remember saying at the time like they only lost points because we lost points. Like I'm almost certain there's, there's a definite reaction to that, and I think there's a bit of a correlation that like, in general when when slip-ups happen because slip-ups happen because it's easy to take your eye off the ball and that kind of stuff. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Stephen McInerney wants uh, wants Liverpool to win at Newcastle uh, just, to <laughs> keep, just to keep the pressure on City. They'll no, perform then. No, definitely not. I, I, I'd rather... I mean, I think the chances of Newcastle taking points off both of us are, are quite slim. I think this like, lightning just right twice. It seems a bit harsh, but a bit unrealistic. But I don't know. I think they will win. I think we'll beat Leicester as well. I feel confident with that one. Um, it's just it's just a confident as it can be as a City fan. Let me put it that way. Well, knowing, just... we're, knowing we're going to get Adam in the studio, I got him to run the stats for uh, for this game. Um, I, I've got him here, and you don't know how you don't half know how to put the frighteners on me. I tell you that. <laughs> um, of all the teams to play more than three times at the Etihad, Leicester have the best goals per game ratio, one point seven one. Up until last season, they were the only team with a positive goal difference at the Etihad after more than one game because we're not including that dodgy Notts Forest game from uh, from two thousand. 2009, I think it was. Uh, they've got eight goals in five Premier League visits. That's the most of any team with five visits. And City only have one Premier League clean sheet against Leicester at home. So, uh, Adam, follow that. Well, they're definitely scoring, aren't they? <laughs> um, I get caned on Twitter when I put anything negative about. Uh, but the, the Leicester facts, the stats don't make that good reading, to be fair. I think we do need to be wary. Uh, they're a good side. Um, 
Brendan Rodgers will want to make his mark again, so he'll want to ruin the party, no, no doubt about that. And um, they they love coming to our place. It's, it's as simple as that. They're in form as well. I mean, they're as, they're about as as in form as you can ask for for they're a team outside seven, the top they? six. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they've they've won draw and two defeats in the last nine games. They've won the other six. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> I didn't realise it was that good. Uh, they've got a good bunch of footballers and a manager who's trying. You know, he's a decent manager. He is a good manager. Um, they are maybe. The fact that they'll come out is maybe that will help us weirdly. Maybe I think we'll be. I don't think there's going to be any commitment issues. I think we all know that. I think the players are so up for it, and obviously those who've seen the likes of Aguero, as we talked earlier, is really driving this team. And maybe if it's um a bit of a shootout, I think we'll win if it's a shootout. I feel like we just you know look at the Spurs game for example, um the one we don't want to talk about, but that we still won that game on the day, you know. So like I think we'd all accept that again. We'd take that on Monday, but um yeah strangely I think it's the last day of the season that I'm more nervous about I think it's because it's away and it's because it, on paper it's easier and oh I don't know it's a weird one because if you no disrespect to any of the other teams but if someone says to you you've got to beat Leicester and Brighton to win yeah. the league if you don't do that you don't deserve to win the league in my opinion especially the right way around as well in terms of Leicester at home yeah, right yeah. Away, yeah. it's not good um, I, having said that you could there's definitely an argument to be said that Newcastle sorry Newcastle Liverpool have got the harder games out the two you know in terms of Newcastle uh, Wolves so, yeah Wolves Wolves are the exact kind of team you don't want to play in the last game of the season other than a big six team and so on uh, actually maybe there's an argument to say that a big six team will get them up for it more and I'm not sure you need a reason to get up to, to win the league but Wolves uh, look what they did to United you know Wolves are a very good team they obviously locked Liverpool as well out of the FA Cup um that's that could be crucial. That really, but there's so, there's so many if if yeah. Yeah. So, maybe, though, isn't that's that's the problem. I think likely is, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised if it's essentially four wins from these four games, you yeah. know, in general. But that's good for us, obviously. Adam, are you worried about Jamie Vardy? He's uh, he, he's been in form again. Yeah, um, I, I even think when he's not in form, he can pose a threat. I think uh, there was an incident in the first minute of the, a, a couple of seasons ago, or maybe last season, where a company took him down in the first minute. Was lucky to stay on the pitch. I think company <laughs> tackle. I don't know what you're on about. Perfectly <laughs> timed. That, yeah. that pace frightens me, and it, the, the way we play as well, where our defenders are defending with almost 50 yards behind them. Vardy will be looking to expose that, and I, I'm wondering whether um, Pep will change the centre backs for this game. He obviously brings company in for the run, and he wheels him out, and he's our stalwart defender, <laughs> and he's, he's our Special cool head. Player. But he likes a battle with a, with people like Benteke or Rooney. He plays better against them. A, a Drogba maybe whereas Vardy will be in behind and I don't know whether Stones and Laporte will be brought in for this one yeah um, I, I don't know about you Steve but I get the, the kind of a feeling from this one with it being a, a now a night game feels a bit Aston Villa midweek 2014 uh, there is something about that isn't there there is a it's going to be uh, this yeah, there's definitely. I always feel like there's an added importance. It's not there isn't, but you know what I mean. When it's a night game, there's a little bit tense. underneath people, the lights. Yeah, under the lights, people are a little bit more tired. Um, there is parallels, isn't there? Uh, which is very nervy game, though. Very nervy. Nil, nil, nil at half time, four nil in the end. I'd take that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> I would. I think it's going to be a very nervy game once again. I think it will be. I think all the games in this run in are pretty nervy for obvious reasons. I mean, we're nowhere near off the best, and I think that's understandable given the the miles we've run and the energy we put in, but. Um, I think the Burnley game and the United games are probably going to be quite similar to what we're going to see against Leicester in terms of, uh, I think we'll we'll look back after the 90 minutes, I think and hope anyway, touch wood, we'll look back and go, actually, we'll probably more in control than we've realised. That's what I hope will happen, but during the 90 minutes, it'll feel like torture. I think that's all the games recently, yeah. the last few with when you look in hindsight you think actually we weren't under that much pressure it's the emotion that you're enduring during it that you think oh what could go wrong and then when you look back you think actually they've not had any shots we've had most of the ball like we do most games it just feels awful it just feels awful when when you live in it you don't want to live inside my head when you say what can go wrong because there is so much that could go wrong in my mind Uh, right so we're raising money for the Christie Accounts Hospital in Manchester on our charity bet again this season each panellist gets a £10 correct score single with William Hill and we've raised £918 so far this campaign one game this week. Let's have some predictions. Uh, Adam, what are you going for? Uh, 3-1. 3-1 is 17-2, which is £85 if you're right, Steve. I'm going to go for just 2-1. Uh, 2-1 is uh, also 17-2, to 2, which is uh, £85. And because we are, I, I ask you all privately before the show, uh, you all said 2-1 as your first pick. Uh, but, Stephen, <laughs> you got there first. Um, I wanted 2-1 as well, and I typed it into my notes beforehand, but then you know change it when, when I get when I get pipped to it. Um, so I've been left with, with not really much options. I've gone for my usual tactic of going for the previous result and go 1-0, which is uh, 10-1 and £100 if I'm right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, visit BGamble. 
gambleaware.org. Now it's time to hear from Howard Hawking. He's talking about mental strength. badminton on Monday night, as I always do. I lost the first game. I wasn't very good. I'm not sure I'd recovered from the stress of the previous day. It's taken a lot out of me, as you may know. Anyway, my game regressed further before I finally won a game at the sixth attempt, mostly due to my partner having a good smash shot. My confidence was shot for most of the time, as is often the case when I lose the first couple of games. I am the ultimate confidence player. Sometimes I feel invincible, sometimes I'm happy to get the shuttercock over the net more times than not. Apart from my many other obvious reasons and flaws, I could never be a professional athlete because the mental side of things would need too much work and there isn't enough time in the world. But it's a topic that's been on my mind a lot recently, not because of my badminton woes, but because of Manchester City Football Club. Mental strength. Mental strength is something that will surely be a key factor in who wins the Premier League this season, especially when the bar has been set this high again. Because if I as a fan cannot handle the stress of this title race, God only knows how the players deal with it. When the going gets tough, the tough get going, as Billy Ocean once opined. He knew. So does Pep. He talks about mental strength after the Burnley game, commenting on the mental strength to react with the problems the team had without the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and Fernandinho, important players. He added, every press conference I say the same, but from the deep of my heart, it is incredible. The world is littered with players of immense talent playing in lower leagues, or even not at all. It's also littered with players of modest talent who reach the top because they had the drive to do so. Players will have been conditioned to deal with situations like this title race. They will all have their own ways of coping. But until you're in the heart of a race like this, one that's almost unique where a single blink can prove fatal, how can they really be sure how they will react? Retaining a title takes mental toughness. It takes a desire to play with the same intensity as the season before. That may explain why no team has done it for over a decade, though poor recruitment by successive champions hasn't helped. And now, at the fabled business end of the season, this run of games is a strain mentally as much as physically. We are talking about players who have been playing football non-stop for a long time. For some, it's approaching two years of near-continual football. There is, as always, talk of bottling the title race. Or there was. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last. United bottled it in 2012, apparently. Liverpool bottled it in 2014. Spurs bottle everything all the time. It's an easy narrative that suggests that football teams can't just lose a game of football. They must be weak to do so, especially if they do so from a previous position of strength. We're thankfully past that point now. Two teams who have massed over 90 points have bottled nothing. The only bottling is going on behind them, the race for the top four resembling a city coach driving through Liverpool's back streets. But what must be clear by now is that if, if, City win their final two league games this season, mental fortitude has to have played a part. Whatever club's budget, whatever their financial might, that alone does not win you 14 league games on the bounce. And here's where Pep comes into the equation. Any football manager is more than just a manager of football matches. He, or she, is a manager of people too. Success depends on firing up the players, motivating them, managing them, caring for them. Look at United under Mourinho and now Solskjaer. There was and is more than tactics at play there, just as there was the previous times Jose poisoned whole football clubs. The mental side of the game may well be a key reason why Pep was always adamant that a quadruple was not a possibility. He knew that he had the talent and the players to do it, and the depth in his squad, but fighting on four fronts takes more than fresh legs and good ball control. The strain mentally of game after game, with so much on the line, would always take its toll. For him, it was inevitable. And it's not long since sports psychology was mocked and derided by Fleet Street's finest, the old boys' brigade that still think footballers should get pissed when they want to, and wonder how footballers can be depressed when they earn so much money. Psychology is key though, as is how you handle being a professional athlete. A tennis player who draws level by winning the fourth set is more likely to win the fifth. A penalty scorer in the shootout who celebrates wildly is more likely to see his teammates also score subsequent spot kicks. A team that is two goals down and look dead and buried suddenly scores a goal and immediately the whole feel of the game changes. Momentum and psychology. Gareth Southgate is one person who is well aware of the importance of mental strength. 
Perhaps this explains England actually winning a penalty shootout under his tutelage. The FA hired Pippa Grange, a psychologist who has been tasked with improving the team's psychological resilience. And they're one of the very few football organisations who are alive to the opportunities that analytics offer in the sport. As Southgate said early in his tenure, I think there are things we can work on with a team to help develop mental strength. I think mental resilience is generally a product of the experiences you've been through, so we have to tap into those. So come next Monday and the Sunday after, City players will step onto the field knowing so much is at stake. More at stake than there is for Leicester, and hopefully more at stake than there will be for Brighton, who I hope will be safe by then. There's more to gain as well though. I've sensed nerves at the start of the past two games, and Leicester are dangerous, but they've come too far not to be focused now. They won 12 league games on the trot to get to this point. They won at Old Trafford, they beat Spurs. They won a penalty shootout at Wembley in the Carabao Cup. They've passed a lot of tests. So it's over to you lads. Up to you to show why you're not someone like me, who gets nervous when a Labour councillor knocked on the door yesterday, worries that a bout of rain will cause all our foreign players to hand in transfer requests, or fears an opposition goal every time they enter our half. You're thankfully not like me. So good luck and bring it home. Hi, it's Nicky Weaver, and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. For a pledge of $2 a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Howard Hawking there. Now it's time for Ask the Panel. Send your questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com, or you can find us on our brand new Instagram. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, the first one comes from Joe Roper on the emails. He asks, with David Silver coming close to the end of a glorious career and Gundogan's future at the club looking a little shaky, might there be some chance that this summer we could sign both a central attacking midfielder and a central defensive midfielder? If so, so, who would you like to see join the ranks? Did you see that news today? Um, as we record this, there's a bit of David Silver news about him allegedly going to Japan, which was interesting, um, which is out of, well, literally out of the blue. At the end of the season? Or? Well, yeah, but apparently he was... Um, with Iniesta. It's one of those things that's so so left field that you think, well, is there something in this? Because it seems so bizarre, but... Um, yeah, I mean, that's come out of nowhere. I think, in general, though, we, we need a whole bunch of midfielders. Uh, it's, it, like You forget that we're going to need a Fernandinho replacement, and we also need a Fernandinho backup anyway. So there's, there's maybe two central midfielders there, and then with David Silva moving on. Maybe that'll be Foden stepping in full-time, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Pep still wants someone to be a bit more senior there. We are linked to Bruno Fernandes. Uh, we've linked to the, pretty much every midfielder who plays for Atletico Madrid at the moment in terms of uh, Sol, Rodri and uh, Thomas Partey. So I think we, we just, we'll just really reinforce that over the next two or three years. But um, I would be gutted if Gundogan left because I think he's a £15 million player that we'd have to replace. And given the Fernandinho and Silva, well, they're getting older, it would just be a massive blow, I reckon. Don't forget all De Bruyne to come back. Yeah. Yeah, and just to throw another name in the hat, uh, Otamendi looks like he could be going. Do we promote Garcia or do we go in the market? Well, that was the rumour today, wasn't it, about um, apparently we might be signing a centre-back and putting off a left-back because of that, um, because it seems like a focus, because as cause Garcia, like as good as he is, I feel like he's, he's definitely seen as the fifth choice still, as opposed to the fourth choice next season. Maybe well, he does. Well, since the conversation's heading this way, let's bring in Curtis Simpson from Twitter, who asks, Mendy appears to be injured again, but we're hearing noises that City won't be in for a new left-back in the summer. Is this a wise move? It was interesting, essentially. I'm not sure if you saw the reports. It came from Samley. Um, he was saying that there's been loads of issues with him in training in terms of the point where he was apparently like breaking down in tears when he was being confronted about it, and he was having real trouble with it all. And um, So it seems like uh, I'm not... I actually heard personally from <laughs> take it take it or leave it as you know some, some source so on someone I know in general who works in football said that um, this was like last November saying that City were even looking at someone in January potentially you know January just gone but they decided not to go for it because it was unrealistic and so on but they've been get, apparently been getting quite frustrated with Mendy for a long time in terms of um, just his reliability and obviously this will be like the third proper season now in a row next season. Um, without a first choice left back, and he can't be blamed for his injuries. Though, no, can he can't. It? No, but there becomes a point where it's like, well, what were you meant to do about it? If you know what I mean. But what 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 are the alternative options? Because we can't, we're not going to sell him because we will make no money on him. Obviously, um, I don't think that would be a good idea anyway. I think an ideal situation would be going in with like an unprecedented free left backs in terms of. You know, Mendy, uh, if he gets fit, Zinchenko seems to be happy to be the squad guy, and then maybe someone else. And then I think wh- whoever's the weakest link at the end of next season essentially moves on. But it's a weird one with Mendy, isn't it? Because I think we all forget 
we don't forget essentially, but because we, we rarely see him, we forget how good he can be, you know, in terms of what he can bring to the team. And he is pretty much a perfect little kind of Guardiola fullback if he's fit, but it's just. He just never is, is he? Mm, so. I think uh, Chilwell might be having an audition on Monday night. Oh, no, <laughs> I hope he's <always> terribly. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, CJ Kohick on Twitter asks, what are the chances that any gaps in the squad could be filled with academy players next season? Adam, do you, do you reckon, uh, do you re- w- would that be a wise move or, or should City just just be, you know, like they always have done, go into the transfer market? Well, the Jaden Sancho saga has forced me into the thinking of we need to start bringing players through like Foden just to erase that stigma that oh, if you're a young player at City you're not going to get into the first team and I think Foden has proved that if you stick around and you're willing to fight I'm not saying Sancho wasn't but he saw his path limited and good luck to him he's doing amazing at Dortmund but I think we need I, I'm more than happy to bring in a, a younger player and allow them to bed in obviously success won't necessarily come off the back of that and it, we need constant success so it's, it's a balancing act but I'm more than happy for us to bring in some younger players I think we've got some good young players in the academy at the moment. I'm not sure any are quite ready. I think there was a, essentially a golden trio uh, a couple of years back, Brahim, um, Foden, Sancho. Uh, for what it's worth, if Sancho's around, I think he'd probably start to be playing games regularly. But, you know, that ship has sailed for whatever reason. Um, those three were seen as very special, even at their age group, to the point where even Barcelona saw Brahim special and they wanted him beforehand. And, you know, Foden was the guy training with Pep when he was 15 and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Sancho, once again, he was... Sancho wasn't just this good lad. He was this, like, under-17 best player in the world kind of lad, you know. Um, I, don't, I think we've got some very talented players like the likes of Tommy Doyle and Felix the Metris obviously made his debut already and Eric Garcia is probably the next one in line, really, Garcia. Um, but I still think... I don't think... I can't really see anyone next year being uh, a project... Uh, in the way that Foden is obviously a project for Guardiola. Well, I was, was going to bring on to Foden. Just, just kind of, it kind of neatly sidesteps that way. A, a lot of fans all season have been have been pushing for Foden to get more and more time. But I, I actually think when you look at, at the season as a whole, Guardiola's managed him well. Hasn't he's he? right. Yeah, I, I'm very much like pushing. I'm very pro academy news, but I've always felt he's dealt with Foden really well because. I, I honestly believe that his intentions of Foden have always been honest, and I think they've been proven to be honest, really. Um, but Foden, was, he's just a small lad, like, literally. That I always felt in general, he was just for the heart and the field. He was just muscled off a little bit too much, and and he was also probably in the position where we were, we were strongly stocked in terms of all the players we've got. Because what even like even if, if say David Silver and um, uh, De Bruyne weren't there, and we had someone to play instead of Fernandinho. You'd still play Fernandinho ahead of Foden because he's still more senior, all that kind of stuff. Like it's understandable Foden didn't play much, but I think he's proven Foden personally that um, if you are genuinely good enough, and Foden is like for his age group, he's phenomenal. We have to—he's not just a good teenager; he's like phenomenally good, and then you will get a chance. Um, I think we, you kind of know as well because you start to see these players. Uh, the reason I'm so confident we won't see him next season is because I think they'll be trained with the first team ready. We would have been seeing the press photos, you know, on, on ManCity.com. We would have seen that 18-year-old lad, 17-year-old lad training every single week in the way that Foden is. Foden has been a project of Guardiola over two years now. He's only starting to get into the team. I think if Eric Garcia um, was about to be a regular first team member, I think he would have been literally in training every single day and be nowhere near the EDS in the way that Foden was. I, he obviously is still quite as focused, but I don't think there's anyone there yet because... I think we just see the signs via training and I think that because that's a big part of how um, Guardiola manages these young lads so Foden's great he's genuinely brave for him. I think he's proven it um, but I think at the moment and not because of a lack of trying I think it's just there's not quite the quality he is because he literally is special and uh, we'll squeeze one more question in I think uh, Matt Butler on Twitter asks what's your view on the celebration kit and what is your guilty pleasure <laughs> kit that you've had that City have had I, and I suspect the fact that he's asking for our guilty pleasure kits I suspect Matt quite likes the celebration yeah. kit yeah. Uh, my first guilty pleasure kit was the one it was yellow with a black stripe down towards the left hand side it Michael was... Richards at Everton yep no, I'm going. I like that one. I'm going before that. It was oh, 97. Kladze. Yeah, 97. They were uh, playing Oxford away. Yeah, I think it was the third kit for one game. Yeah, and they did, I don't think they released it. That was my guilty pleasure. This celebration one's awful. Steve? Oh, um, do you remember the all-white one that Mark Kennedy wore? Yeah, that's yes. my guilty that's not I, a guilty player. That's a good uh, kit. Yeah. yeah, but I think it's for it to be a guilty player. It's got to be a bad kit. Like <laughs> I, I think. I think. I think. I remember thinking it wasn't very nice, but I liked it because when I was a little kid, I looked a bit like Mark Kennedy, essentially. <laughs> so, like, uh, I I remember really liking. Now that was. I think it's not a guilty pleasure, but it's one that's been largely ignored. I reckon uh, from that era. Um, my first kit was the. Um, do you remember the purple and white striped away one? Yeah. Night, was it night? What that year was that? Night, night of fours, is it? Yeah, like that, yeah. yeah. That was my first kit. And actually, you know what my guilty pleasures are? 
all the goalkeeper kits there. Ike Immel, Tony Cohen. Because <laughs> oh, I yeah. loved all the them. The yellow Ike Immel one from 96. I yeah. had the Tony orange Cohen. one. I, I hate the orange one because um, I, I was sick. In it. I, when I was a kid, I was, I was sick as a child. Was and, and, and I was orange? wearing that. And I just, I've always associated with being ill. <laughs> I, remember, I was a keeper as a kid. And uh, like yourself, you Yeah, I was a kid. I'm, um, I still am, but not yeah. me. Yeah. And I remember um, we had a guy doing our drive, like he was like a builder guy. He's like, oh, I know Tony Cohen. And he said he'd get Tony Cohen to sign that um, kind of yellowy, kind of yep. weird patterned one with the kind of weird stripe through the middle. And he got Tony Cohen to sign it. And I believed it for years. And I'm thinking, actually, looking back, you probably just didn't. Just, it was probably yeah, just, just, just scrolled probably on just himself. And, I, and I've only, only, literally only probably recently, is about six months ago, I thought, that actually, <laughs> that probably wasn't real. Because I told that story. So I was like, do you know what? You definitely didn't know Tony yeah. Cohen. Like, what? Though having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if Tony Cohen did just go to a pub somewhere around at the time. But, and so, yeah, yeah, be signing like, things. My, uh, my guilty pleasure is anything yellow. I just, for some reason, I don't, I just like the, the Michael Richards one. The, yeah. I mean, that one you were talking about, Adam, I loved. Uh, but the, the ghost green. Um, that everybody hated in that final Pellegrini season. Oh, I the um, we go in the dark one. Yeah, I quite, I quite like that one. <laughs> That's that, quite fun. That reminds me of Sevilla away. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. That's great uh, fun that kit, though, wasn't it? Really, it was good. It I became a meme, so it was good fun. I loved it. I loved it. Right, well, two more Premier League games to go, and it's looking like it's going to go to the wire. We'll be back next week to look at the picture going into the game with Brighton. The best case scenario is that it's over and City are champions. Though that is surely something of a pipe dream. The worst case scenario. Well, that doesn't really bear thinking about right now, does it? On this week's Patreon bonus show, we're discussing City Academy graduates, and that's available for everyone who backs the show by $2 per month or more as a thank you for helping us out with our running costs. We have also packaged and sent out all the final badges, bottle openers, mugs for all the old Patreon reward tiers, so if you're expecting any of them, they should be with you very soon. Special thanks to my two guests this week, Stat City Adam Carter. Cheers. And esteemed company Stephen McInerney. Thank you very much. I'm David Mooney, and we'll be back in seven days' time. See you then. the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast